Hey guys, I'm Lindsay Zarniak, and I'm excited to welcome you into our On Her Turf podcast. So this is the show where myself and my co-host MJ Acosta Ruiz get to talk about women to women, and we focus on women who talk about the various females in their lives who have inspired them to be better versions of themselves. Also, we hear a lot of fantastic stories about inspiring women's journeys along the way. This week, I'm so pumped for you guys to hear this conversation that MJ got to have with snowboarding star Kelly Clark. If you don't know, Kelly Clark earned half-pipe gold in Salt Lake City in 2002, but she has so much perspective on what it is like to basically kind of grow up over the course of different Olympic games. So I know you're going to learn something from this conversation. Listen up. Here's Kelly Clark with MJ. This week's guest who started snowboarding at the age of seven, seven, I think I was eating crayons at that age, but she began competing at the age of 16 and went on to not so casually become a five-time Olympian, the first woman to ever land a 1080 during competition. Kelly Clark, thank you for joining the On Her Turf podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Now, real quick, before we get into some get to know me questions, this is your first time covering the Olympics from this side of the mic, if you will, right? Not as a competitor, but as a broadcaster. Is it kind of weird for you? Yes. I'm a, I'm a snowboard analyst this week. It's a, it's a different type mm-hmm. of Olympic experience for me, but uh, it's been good. It's, it's uh, still has that pressure cooker situation that I'm used to. So mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm enjoying the process of learning something new and happy to still be part of things. Oh, I love that. All right. We're definitely going to get into that too. But first, uh, I really want to just do a few kind of softball questions here to get to know you a little bit better. And for those who maybe want to know a little bit more of your background. So first up, who was your childhood hero? Um, my childhood hero was probably Anne Malin. She was a snowboarder from Norway who I looked up to. Um, so cool. She did things on a snowboard that uh, I only saw the guys doing. And so she really opened the door for me to follow, which... Uh, was just really inspirational. Ah, yeah. There's always that one spark, right? We have to like see it to be it. But you've been that for a lot of people as well. All right. So I was watching this compilation video of like the best of Kelly Clark at the Olympics and all of these (laughs) amazing runs from the time you've medaled. And I I noticed there was one in particular, uh, I think it was Vancouver, where you have like these uh, AirPods on, not AirPods yet. They were actual full headphones. Um, so what are you listening to in that? What is your pump up song? Gosh, you know, there's so many things when you're competing that are like, uh, I guess, competing for your attention. Uh, mm-hmm. And music was a really great way to just drown everything out. And um, I would actually use music to counter my mood. So if mm-hmm. I was really anxious, I would listen to something like super mellow, like very quiet, mellow to kind of help bring my like uh my thoughts back into the middle, middle yeah. safe range. And if I was uh, too tired, I would listen to some pop jams, pump it up. But it, it really changed the whole time. Sometimes it'd be pop music. Sometimes it'd be Christian music. It was really the gamut. Yeah. I think it's really, God, that makes so much sense because your men- mentality, especially right before you go on this run is paramount, not just to the success, but to your safety too. Wow. I'm going to try that. Not as intense as, you know, walking into the studio, but you're going on a half pipe. Very, very important. What were you saying? Yeah. When when you get into that mode too, like if you don't have it by that point, you're not going to get it. Mm -hmm. So it's not Mm -hmm. like you're using the music to, 
you know, make your next trick happen or something. It's, it's literally like just execute the plan. We listen to music every day and practice might as well be a practice run. It's kind of how I looked at it. Fantastic point. Okay. If you could make any rule that everyone had to follow, what would it be? A rule that everyone had to follow? Um, Let's see. Should I get into my like uh, pet peeves? Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> I guess maybe I would have everybody turn the windshield wipers off when there's no more rain. And they would be able to really just stay dialed on that. That'd be a really great rule. <laughs> Not that that's a pet peeve of mine or anything. Oh my gosh. First of all, it drives me insane. Like there is, you don't see anything on your, how does it not bother them also? I have no idea. You're welcome. That's my rule. It's going to make the world a better place. Oh my gosh. That and the blinker. Like you've already switched lanes. Stop it. Turn it off. Ah, excellent. Excellent rule. Love that. We need to implement that now. Um, not so much here in LA because it barely rains, but I came from South Florida where it rained all the time and this happened constantly. I was like, y'all, this is a daily occurrence. How are you still leaving them on? Oh, we digress because this could be a whole other podcast. All right. So if you had been a summer sport athlete, what sport would you have played? Summer sport athlete. Um, Gosh, I like to pretend that I could be a swimmer, but I'm not cut out for that. But that just sounds fun. But um, I'm not sure that would be in the cards. I'm I'm about 5'4", so not sure I'd have the wingspan for that. You know, with everything that you've accomplished, I, I would imagine there are very few limits on you. I bet if you really wanted to be a, an Olympic swimmer, you could do it. Um, I can't swim very well, so I can't speak to it. Uh, it just looks very, very difficult. I would drown instantly. Um, okay, so what movie could you watch on repeat and never get tired of it? Rudy. Rudy. Ah, great Rudy. movie. Yeah, Old I could for sure watch fantastic. that. Yeah, no big surprise there. Inspirational sports films are my, uh, are my jam. So I could watch that about 100 times. Love that. Uh, and lastly, when you want to treat yourself, what do you do, eat, buy, anything? Um, gosh, I I would say I love going to the movies, just going out oh, and fun. checking out. Um, glad that those are coming back into existence these days. Kelly, you competed in five straight Olympic games, so starting from 2002 all the way to 2018. For you, what was the biggest difference from when you first started competing to your last Olympic Games? I essentially grew up um, going to the Olympics every four years. I could kind of look back and and see how much I had grown as a person and as a snowboarder. Um, My first Olympics were incredible. Um, Winning the Olympics uh, in Salt Lake City when I was 18 was was an unbelievable experience. But um, as I kind of progressed throughout my career, I really learned to appreciate and you just realize how difficult sustained success is you know like being a rookie is easy you can kind of come out there swing for the fences you have no pressure no expectation um but it was really uh it was really awesome to just get to develop that that sense of appreciation when I knew how hard it was. I knew the blood, sweat and tears. I knew how valuable these experiences were as I kept going. Um, and I guess I learned that um, the Olympics shouldn't be treated as a destination. That was probably one of the, one of the most important things that I learned there, nor should they be something that define you. They were just a great addition to a snowboard career. And I was so um, grateful to have all the experiences that I, that I had. You know, you mentioned you grew up through the Olympics. Do you feel like you grew up because of the Olympics as well? I mean, sports are just amazing, right? They they yeah. 
they teach you and illustrate all of life's life's principles in a, in a very in your face, sort of rubber meets the road kind of way. And so there's no getting around it. You, you, who you are gets put on display, um, in the highs and lows of life and in competition. And so absolutely they, they taught me how to grow up. I, I learned so much about myself, but I mean, that's just the nature of sport. You don't have to be, you don't have to be an Olympian to, to develop as a person through, the highs and lows of sports. Um, <clears throat> and, but I'm, I'm really grateful that that was, that that was my journey because, uh, sports will keep you honest. <laughs> right, right. They will show you what you're, they will show you what you made of. And that, that's what I loved about competition. It was just like, it was just like the big reveal. You got to work super hard behind closed doors. And then in those big moments, you get to see what you built. So, um, really awesome way to grow up. And I love that you said that part about behind closed doors, because I think people just see the apex, right? So like the, the pinnacle of this, you getting to the Olympics, but not the journey and everything that it's taken four years in between each one. It's such an important part of, of what each Olympian uh, has to build through and go through. So as you're watching this year's games, as they're going on, uh, what do you think is the biggest difference right now? Not just for you now as a broadcaster, but as you see the evolution of the sport too. In snowboarding, you know, the finish line is always changing. I think that is how I got to stay in it for 20 years because it was always just developing the tricks change. They get more complex. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like looking at this Olympics now, especially since I retired about three years ago, the sport has progressed so much. The tricks that the women are doing are so much more advanced than what I was doing. And, um, you know, it's cool because I knew I, I know I got to play a role in that progression. I got to carry the sport forward, but these girls are for sure standing on my shoulders going where I can't go. Yeah. And so I think just the, the level of, um, the skill level is just through the roof. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing, um, what the women are able to, to put on display. Are you proud when you look at, at where the sport has come and what they're doing? I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, as an athlete, it's so easy to make things about yourself. I think that's like almost in like the fine print of our job description. It's like <laughs> yeah. focus on yourself. It's like somewhere at the bottom, totally. prioritize yeah. you. And, you know, there was a while ago in my career, I think probably somewhere around 2010, around my third Olympics, where I just kind of like stepped back and I realized that I wanted to build something that would outlast my ability to perform. And what that looks like was investing in these young women that were going to come up after me, the women that we're seeing uh, as the Olympic stars today. And, and just from a leadership perspective, just like investing into those women and making sure that um, they don't have to make the same mistakes I do, that I can talk to them about what it's like to fail and have pressure and deal with it and, and be a good role model um, and show them how to be good role models for the next generation that'll come after them. So I definitely spent the, the second half of my career as less of a peer and more of a mentor because I kind of took that approach to say, Hey, like, like records are meant to be broken. Like, uh, these women will do things that I never can do on a snowboard. And, and I'm, I don't know. I just had a good sense of my identity outside of the sport. I wasn't like hanging on to my performance to define me. So I was able to just kind of open up my hand and say, Hey, what do I have that can make you be better? Because at the end of the day, it should be about, um, should be about snowboarding and it should be about things that, uh, even as athletes don't, 
I found it more fulfilling not to just prioritize myself, I guess. And I'm very long answer, but I'm very, very proud of the women today. That's awesome, though, because it's you talk about that evolution, right? That growth, that transcendence, not just as an athlete, but as as a person, right? So I think the fact that you got to a place where you said, I'm going to pour into not just the sport, but these athletes specifically so that I leave it better than I found it. You know, I think that's the whole point of everything that we do um, uh, within the sports landscape and making the decision to retire, I'm sure wasn't easy for you. You know, um, we hear Sean White this week talking about it. How did you know that it was time to sort of uh, call it a career? That's a great question. Um, in 2014, I remember uh, I had just come off uh, an Olympic bronze medal and I was in the finish area and I had a American flag wrapped around me. And, uh, you know, I'd gotten on the Olympic podium 12 years after I first gotten up there. It was just a huge moment for me. And, and I'm, I'm answering questions in the media corral and everyone's saying, Hey, are you finally done? Like, uh, what else do you have left to prove? Like, when are you going to retire? And I was like, wow, I would like to celebrate this moment. Like, I feel like it's a pretty big moment. I don't think I necessarily need to be answering questions about my retirement right now. Um, and it was crazy. That was just everyone's kind of, you know, question for me. And it really caused me to ask myself that. And, and at the time in 2014, I basically asked myself if I felt like I had hit my potential. And, and I, at that point, I didn't think I had really found my own ceiling as far as the tricks that I was capable of doing and what I was able to learn. I felt like I still had more to learn and, and I felt like I could still grow as a snowboarder. So that was one big component. And then again, like I said, I looked around and I thought, oh, these women still need me. Like, I think I still have a lot to give. And um, that's basically when I decided to go for my fifth Olympic Games. I committed to another four years at that point. And I went through Pyeongchang, South Korea. I ended up in fourth place, um, had a really incredible, incredible Olympic um, experience and performance. One of my one of my favorite Olympics Um and at that point, I realized I had found my own ceiling and I looked around and I was like, these curls don't need me. They're doing just fine. Um, and, you know, heading into that games, it was interesting. You know, you mentioned Sean and you're very much aware um, that this is going to be your last Olympics as a, you know, for me, I was 34. I think Sean's right around in that ballpark as well. Like, at that age in a, in a high impact sport, it becomes so difficult to progress. Like you can maintain, especially in a, it is a technique based sport. You know, the strongest person doesn't necessarily win. It's, it's whoever has the best technique, which you can still do well into your thirties, but the durability and the ability that it takes to progress becomes very, very um, limited. And so um, for me, I was really grateful that I got that decision I got to make that decision. Not very many athletes get to choose when they want to retire. Um, but those are the things that led to me retiring and, and also led to me being able to, that idea uh, and that kind of process led me to be able to enjoy my last Olympics, knowing it was going to be my last Olympics. But it's it's very hard for the athletes that, like myself, like Sean, who have been the gold medal favorite for a long, long time to show up at a games and be like, wow there's a chance that I won't win. It's a, it's a really hard, humbling, um, 
a thing to get your head around as an athlete to say, okay, so what does success look like for me here? It looks different than what it looked like earlier in my career. Um, and I look at Sean and he's so capable. He's such an incredible snowboarder. Um, but I wonder what is his thought process is like right now, because uh, you can usually see the writing on the wall as an athlete. Yeah. What does success look like for me now? That's a whole word, Kylie. Like that's something you can implement into so many aspects of life. But I, at the Olympic level, that's a tough question to ask yourself, even tougher, I would imagine, to answer. So I'll ask a different one here. What, if ever, do you think we'll see some tricks that men throw um, on both the men and the women's side of the sport? Um, you know, I think we're going to see a handful of new tricks for the women this year. Um, I think we're going to see multiple double corks, which are some of the tricks that the men are doing right now. I think we're probably going to see, I would say, three of the top five ladies try doubles. And I would, I think Chloe's probably going to get into the 12s would be my best guess and maybe some really big switch backside tricks. So, um, her depth, uh, the amount of good tricks that she does that nobody else can do is amazing. She's probably got three or four different runs that are legit first place runs. So it'll be fun to watch. And I think the three run format makes it really progressive as well. Um, only one run counts. They can throw away two, and it, it just makes the the whole event really progressive. Uh, pressure. I'm already nervous. Okay, that gave me anxiety. Um, are there snowboarders out there that you look at and you see yourself in? I mean, in my career, I was known for carrying a lot of speed and breaking down some of those barriers. I mentioned Anne Malin, who I looked up to. That's what she did, and that's what I aspired to do. Um, I, I really thought, Hey, there's, there's no difference between how fast the guys can go and how fast I can go. Um, and so, I mean, I'll look at Chloe and she does the same thing and she does it better than me. So it's, it's just kind of a stepping stone of breaking down those barriers and then watching the next generation carry it forward. Um, there's elements, but I, I think it's just that whole principle that I operated with that said, Hey, um, I saw the guys do this. Like, there's no reason why I can't. And that's, that's really what, what she does. I love that. Well, speaking of the next generation, you actually created the Kelly Clark Foundation in 2019 when you retired uh, to give scholarships to young snowboarders. What do those scholarships uh, go into and, and what do they provide for these young athletes? Yes. Yeah, so I started the um, Kelly Clark Foundation much to, um, for all the reasoning that I've kind of talked about with you, just a huge value for giving back to the sport that I have. And um, we funded, uh, high level athletes, uh, like Maddie Mastro was a recipient of our, our, our funding, Tessa Maud, um, a few of the, um, the different U S Olympians and ju just basically creating opportunity and funding for people to get proper coaching. Um, snowboarding is a expensive sport that doesn't always have a lot of access. So we kind of focus on that. And we also, um, support other snow related nonprofits, chill, stoked mentoring. Um, and we focus on getting underserved youth out on the hill as well. So it's basically the whole idea that sports help you learn about life. And I want to share snowboarding with everybody else. And so I do that in a few different ways. And it's been a, a fulfilling thing to build. I love that. So now that you've been retired for a little bit, how often do you snowboard? 
Uh, I snowboard all the time. I'm like a five-year-old. Um, awesome. Yeah, I I still ride for Burton Snowboards. I've been with them for about 23 years, and I'm still on the team. Uh, I ride a lot more powder now, not as much icy half pipes, except when there is a half pipe at a mountain. I can't help myself. I just jump in there, and I make myself uh, every year. I make myself do uh, 720s, 540s, backflips every year because I don't want to lose those tricks. But I probably will never yeah, yeah, do yeah. nines and tens again. But I make sure that I don't get too rusty and I, I re-up on my uh, on all my tricks that I want to still have ownership over. So, um, yeah, I, I love it. That's that's the beauty of snowboarding. It's it's so much more than just competing. It's so much more than than just those moments that you see on TV. And I think that's why it's become such a, a paramount, you know, Olympic sport is because it's it's really relatable. You know, maybe people aren't uh, hitting the 70 foot jump, but they're out there in the park hitting the 10 foot one. And, and, um, it just makes it such a fun sport to, to watch, appreciate, and just to continue to do for a lifetime. You know, I saw this uh, video you posted on your Instagram. It's like a reel of uh, getting ready or layering up for like a stormy day if you wanted to go out there. And I know this was condensed into what, like 30 seconds or whatever, but you have to really be about this life, Kelly. I mean, it was like four different layers of clothing. You got the boots. You can't wear cotton socks, which I learned the hard way when I went to Minnesota for the Super Bowl several years ago. So what was it about snowboarding, giving all that it takes to really prepare to just go out there just for a casual day um, that made you fall in love with it? I grew up in Vermont and I think you had mm. to kind of layer like that in order to go get your mail. Right. So um, <laughs> it was kind of just, uh, it was just kind of par for the course there. Um, and snowboarding was just like in my town, that was the only thing to do after school to hope that you had snow days and school would get canceled. And so <clears throat> it was a way of life where I grew up and I never knew any different. I will say though, now I, I have been living in California for a long time and I've gotten a bit soft. And so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not as hardcore as I am. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have the appropriate clothes to stay warm now. Right. Um, but I've definitely been living large out in California in the sun for maybe a little bit too long. I mean, one would say that it's, it's, it's appropriate that you get a little bit of time in the sun, given all of the snow you've endured your entire life. Um, when you look at all those all those days in the snow, layering up, all that you've done for the sport. What are you most thankful for snowboarding for giving to you? You know, I've gotten to travel the world. I've gotten to be part of an incredible community. Um, I think snowboarding, that's also just such a cool part of it. Is there's just a culture behind it. Um, I'll look at the friends that I've made that I'll have for life. Um, you know, the companies I've gotten to be involved with. I mentioned Burton um, and you know, that company to me, those guys are more like family. It's more like a family relationship than a business relationship. And, um, that's, that's at the core of our culture. It's, um, very relational, very, uh, authentic. Uh, we just, uh, it, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. Even if you were to watch the Olympics and you see the camaraderie that exists between the athletes in the finish area where, there's a genuineness. There's a, a sense of that. We're all just happy to be part of snowboarding. Um, and so I think that's probably the best thing that it's given me is, is, is just the, the friendships that'll last a lifetime. All right, Kelly, I can't let you leave on her turf without asking you one last thing. One of the things we like to find out on this podcast rather is what is the best or worst advice that you've ever received? So what would that be good or bad? Something you want to share out there? <laughs> 
best advice uh i would say when it comes to snowboarding this is the only the only advice you ever need and my coach used to tell me all the time and it's basically bend your knees and go faster if you ever want to if you ever want to be a good snowboarder basically all of your tricks all of your problems all of the things you're not doing right can usually be fixed by those two things like bend your knees and go faster um <clears throat> that's uh that's probably the best advice I've ever gotten, but that helped me the most in my career <laughs> from day one to day a million. Um, but I guess, I guess something that's maybe a little bit more relatable for everybody. Um, and it may sound like kind of a cliche or something, but just really like enjoy the journey um, and don't get wrapped up in the destination. Like it's, it's so incredible to be goal orientated and driven and work towards these things. But, um, I've had a lot of success at a high level. Um, I've had my heart broken getting fourth at the Olympics twice. Um, and you just have to learn to not be defined by your accomplishment. And it really sets you up to actually enjoy things. Um, when you're waiting to get somewhere, when you're hoping that a placement or a job title or an achievement will make you feel better at the end of the day. Um, I will be the first one to tell you that it won't. What you're looking for isn't found there. So learn to enjoy um, where you're at and who you are uh, outside of those things. And it'll free you up to actually enjoy the, uh, the, the process and the 20 years of doing whatever career, whatever sport, whatever thing that you're doing. Cause if you, are putting that thing in a place where it doesn't need to be. You know, I've, I always said burnout doesn't come from too much activity. It comes from unmet expectations. So if you can tamper those expectations, you just get to enjoy things. So I would really, really encourage you to do that. Um, that's probably the best advice that I got. How do you know me, Kelly? <laughs> You're like speaking <laughs> to me this way. You don't even understand how much I needed those words specifically, I'm sure for many people that are listening right now, it's the case. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That's probably the best advice I've ever heard. <laughs> and I've heard versions of it, but but something about the how poignant it was when you said it just now. Woo! Listen, that's why was we that, keep it real here the, on, uh, on her turf. Was that the bend your knees and go faster part? Was that the part Obviously. that really got you? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, perfect. Clearly. <laughs> Sometimes the best advice is the simplest advice. <laughs> Kelly, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. Oh my goodness. What a an eye-opening conversation. First of all, I just think the fact that Kelly Clark is talking about Chloe Kim having no fear is like laughable because Kelly Clark has done stuff that I think anyone would say, oh my God, that's terrifying. That is, That was really cool to hear that perspective. And it just makes me have so much respect for these athletes who go out there. You know, anytime I watch snowboarding, I feel like it's, you're watching them do these tricks and it's, it's both terrifying, but then it's also beautiful at the same time. But the thing that really resonated was when she and MJ were talking about what it was like, um, from the first to the last for Kelly's experience at the Olympics. And I thought when she was talking about winning Salt Lake at age 18 and finding that fast success at the Olympic, Olympic Games and then, taking the time to realize really how difficult 
sustained success is, you know, I think that that's something that we hear all the time in different sports. You know, it's the same thing as defending a championship because that's what you're trying to do when you come back and you try to win gold again. But even just to compete and, and be competitive, um, let alone win gold is so hard. And when you think about, here's the thing with the Olympics, when you think about the amount of time in between, I talk to my colleagues about this all the time. It's, you've got to live with what you do with for her. She was living as she was mentioning, um, you know, with winning gold, you're at the highest high, but then if you don't come back and do the same thing the next year, you've got four years to go. And if you don't have your head on straight, and if you don't learn how to appreciate the games, like Kelly was saying, you're living with that version of self-worth that can really impact you negatively, especially because of the family dynamic and how much family support plays a key in every Olympian story. I think that's really commendable for any athlete out there. But I loved Kelly talking about the Olympics shouldn't define you, you know, even though she grew up through the Olympics. And I thought it was very cool how she said she was able to develop that sense of appreciation and, and really how valuable these experiences are. That's a great lesson to try to teach your kids, by the way. Um, there are a couple stories I would love to highlight from these Olympics because we want to get you caught up on some of the headlines that we cannot stop thinking about. First of all, skeleton. If you're paying attention to this sport, it is fascinating because of how detailed and nuanced it is. But women's skeleton is actually celebrating its 20th anniversary. It debuted in the 2002 Salt Lake City Winter Games. This year is the first time that the same number of women and men will compete in the event, 25. So in case you didn't know, skeleton is the slowest <laughs> of the three sliding sports, which include bobsled and luge. Slow is relative as the athletes can get up to 80 miles per hour as they race headfirst, headfirst on a tiny sled on an icy course. Skeleton also often gets confused with luge, but skeleton athletes get a running start. So luge doesn't, that's the difference. They're headfirst. As I said, the track is about a mile long. It's got 16 curves, which includes a 360 degree turn drops almost 400 feet in elevation with the steepest drop being an 18% grade. So think about the roller coaster that you were terrified of as a child, and then think about going down that thing head first. Okay. Basically these people are rock stars. All right. Moving on. Although there's so much more we could talk about. You can't talk about the winter Olympics without mentioning curling. The United States women's team is all about family. This is so cool. Tabitha and Tara Peterson are sisters. Becca Hamilton's brother, Matt, is on the men's team. And Nina Roth, who wasn't on the team in 2018, but returned to the team this year as a first-time mom to two-year-old Nolan. Tara Peterson says that you're, quote, born into curling as the sisters followed in their mother's footsteps, who followed in her father's footsteps in taking up the sport. It's so fun to see athletes turning their sports into family affairs. And also we should mention there is a phenomenal story that happened in curling with Italy's Stefania Constantini. She is 22 years old, but she was part of the mixed um, doubles curling team. They won gold. The average age for someone to peak in curling is late 20. So she truly is a phenom. But the coolest thing about Stefania is she is from a tiny town in the Northern Italian Alps. She fell in love with curling when she was the age of eight because a friend of hers introduced her to the sport. And she said that when she learned what the sport was, it instantly ignited a spark in her. So she actually studied accounting, but after school, she took a year off 
to just completely devote herself to curling. I'm sure her family thought she was crazy, but they supported her. And now she has won the first gold medal in curling. I believe it's the first medal in Italy in curling because no one curls in Italy. It's only like 400 people, but this girl followed her dream. And now she is the face of her sport in a country that is known for anything but curling. So I just think that's such a cool story. And again, it speaks to the fact that, look, you don't know if you can do it until you try and it's worth trying. Start with yes, give it a go. Those are my deep thoughts for the day. Every four years, the world's greatest athletes compete for gold. That time is now. The Winter Olympics on NBC and Peacock, 17 days of action, excitement, glory, and history in the making. Don't miss a single epic moment. The Winter Olympics continue tonight on NBC and Peacock. Don't forget to rate and review On Her Turf on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to follow On Her Turf on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And check out some of our past episodes of the On Her Turf podcast. You can hear from Team USA track and field athlete Raven Saunders, fellow summer Olympian Becky Sauerbrunn. And in between Winter Olympics sessions, you can get caught up on what Maddie Mastro, Kristen Santos, Brianna Decker, and Megan Keller all had to say before they left for Beijing. Special thanks to everyone involved in this NBC Sports and Blue Wire partnership. Until next time.